Today, I'll talk about an investigation story from my 7-Eleven days, a two-pronged test that I'm now using to analyze disappearances. I'll try to get to the bottom of why Unfound hasn't covered man-on-the-run cases, and I'll discuss a whole bunch of other stuff, including the range of my rock music taste. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for July 4th. 2022 All right, let's do this. I don't know how many people are going to be um, showing up for today. It is July 4th, after all. Uh, happy 4th to all of you, unless you're outside the United States. And that might particularly particularly sting if you were in the United Kingdom. But uh, I think we're over that by now, right? We're over that. We've all gone to our therapists and counselors. We've talked it out. We've hugged it out. And we're good buddies now. But um, I uh, wonder how many people will be here. I expect it to be a, a lower turnout than usual, which that is fine. But I just didn't want to um, push this off till Tuesday, uh, especially considering that uh, this is now uh, an audio show as well on the podcast feed. And also that I just have a lot of work to do this week uh, due to um, what next week is going to be. In fact, there might not even be a live show next week given my my trip to Illinois. I'm going to be leaving Saturday, and I'll get to Illinois on Sunday, and I'll be there till Saturday. And I just don't know how much work I'm going to get done. I'm going to be staying with a very, very good friend of mine who I haven't seen in a while. I don't want to be rude and do work all all the time, just disc golf and work. That would be rude, but I do do intend to do some work while I'm up there. So uh, I have to get a lot of work done. It's kind of working ahead a little bit, and uh, just other things have to be done. So I said, you know what? I'm going to uh, do this live show, of course, doing it. Tonight would have been really, really weird. So I'll just do it now. If people tune in, that's great. If they don't, they can catch it later either here on YouTube or on their podcast feed. And uh, I'm always prepared, as you know, to show up and uh, talk for the entire – of course, that's what I do – talk for the entire time whether people show up or not. Um. Because uh, I, I, it's just the way I am. I always bring enough material, and uh, I can remember it wasn't so long ago when there wasn't that many viewers or listeners to this live show. So uh, I just do it. I come prepared. I come with a lot of energy, and I know that eventually people will get around uh, to listening or watching uh, sometime. But I do see Jasmine in here. I do see. Spleen girl, there's Spleen. I haven't seen you in a while, Spleen. Where have you been? 
and that is one of the most spectacular YouTube names that I know. Uh, Spleen Girl, very interesting. Before I go any further, I have to uh, give another shout out to my three-year-old friend, Bentley. And uh, if you'll remember the last time I talked about him, he's going through some things, but I think I said that I thought he's going to recover fully. Uh, Bentley uh, is doing well. He is, uh, it sounds to me like he's back to almost 100% health. Uh, I've heard that he is uh, really smoothing up to all of his nurses and they're liking him a whole bunch. And he's made a lot of friends at the hospital while he has been there. But Bentley, I want you to know that I've uh, been thinking about you and I want to continue to assure you that everything's going to be fine. Um, and uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, what's happened to you is just about over. You're going to be uh, 100% in no time. So hello to you, Bentley, out there. <clears throat> I know that your uh, grandma is going to uh, show you this video and the previous video. So, Bentley, I just want to give a shout out to you uh, on this 4th of July. So before I go any further, also, uh, before we get deep into everything that is going on, um, I want to uh, ask that you share this video or this podcast with some people. You have any true crime friends, true crime family members that you think, you know, I think they'd really love to hear a little uh, more of the laid back style of Ed that is on display during the live show in contrast to the podcast where it's always prim and proper well most of the time prim and proper we're a little more laid back here uh we kind of let our hair down uh for this live show and um if you think somebody would enjoy watching this listening to it or and listen to it please share it also give a thumbs up as jasmine is reminding me whether you are watching live right now on July 4th, it's uh, 12.05 p.m. on July 4th. It's a beautiful day in the background. There are several people out on the beach playing volleyball, swimming in the water, uh, soaking up the sun. Um, they are all, all out there, and here I am doing the show. But uh, give this video a thumbs up, whether you're watching it live or watching it in the rerun. And if you're listening to it, Please give it a five-star review or whatever your podcast platform allows. And if you're feeling, I always use the word frisky. I don't know why that name started to be connected to this request, but I'm going to keep using it because I like it because I don't get to use the word frisky anywhere else in my life. Um, there is the join button down there. And if you're feeling frisky, why don't you just become a member? of this channel. You get some very special things uh, being a member of this channel. Some of those things are you get the Unfound Now episodes. We're going to be talking about Unfound Now uh, during this live show. You get the Unfound Now uh, episodes, these monthly, the monthly series episodes a week early. That might be interesting to you. You also get the updates, unfound updates that I do every single day where I talk about what is going on uh, happening with unfound behind the scenes. 
things that I'm working on, things that I'm writing, ups, upcoming interviews. I talk about that every day. You might find that interesting. And also you get the Friday podcast early right here on the YouTube channel. And as you know, we've gone to video uh, for both the interviews and my solo part of those episodes. But this uh, this Friday will be an exception because we're doing a revisiting and the interview is uh, back from 2017, but I will get into that uh, before uh, before we finish. You know how I always like to go over the next episode of Unfound right here, uh, right at the end of the live show. So you get all of that for the low, low price of 10 cents a day. That is pretty, pretty cheap, especially in these inflationary times. And that price will not be changing. So even as inflation goes through the roof, gas prices averaging over $5 a gallon. Uh, I know my uh, chicken wings that I buy have gone up and everything else. We are holding firm at that $0.10 cents a day price. So I think it's a pretty good deal. So please consider it. All right. Now that the uh, business stuff is out of the way. Um, just a little personal things, you know, um, I like to talk about things going on in my life before we get into the heavy true crime unfound stuff or stuff that's not even connected to unfound. But as I stated, uh, next week I will be in the area of Peoria, Illinois. I will not be staying in Peoria, Illinois. In fact, the courses that I'll be playing are not even in Peoria, Illinois, but, uh, the headquarters, for this huge disc golf tournament are in uh, in Peoria, Illinois. I'll actually be staying at my friend's place. Um, I'll get to that in a moment, Puma. Um, I'll be actually staying at my friend Dave's place. He and I go way back. We met as freshmen, 1989 at Grove City College. And we became quick friends, fast friends, and uh, we ended up uh, sophomore year. His, um, I'm going to turn this notification off because that is bothering me. Turn the mute on, my other computer on. There we go. And uh, fast friends. He was my. He wasn't my roommate my sophomore year. He lived in the dorm right next to mine. And then what was it? Junior year, uh, we were in the same housing group, although we didn't live in the same building. But we've just uh, we're very very good friends, very close friends. And then uh, we kind of went our separate ways after graduation. And he ended up going to law school, and he got his master's in business. Yeah, he's one of those types. And me, I went to work for my family in the car business, which I hated. And then kind of hadn't, didn't talk to him for a while. He ended up getting married. He now has two sons. And then kind of, I don't know, mid 2000s, late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, you know, with Facebook and everything, you maybe all of you can kind of relate to that. Kind of got in contact with people you haven't heard from in a while. And we've kept in contact ever since he came out to Vegas two times, maybe. And I was there, hung out. And then I saw him again in, <clears throat> must have been 2016 or 2017. He and his family came down here to Orlando 
of course, for Disney. But then they flew out of Tampa. I drove over to the airport and we hung out, had dinner at the airport uh, in Tampa. That, like I said, that must have been 2016 or 2017. Gotta be. I think it was after I started Unfound, pretty sure. But then I haven't seen him since then. We we talk almost every day, like through Messenger, about all sorts of different stuff. So coincidentally, he lives near Peoria. And I told him about the tournament, and he offered – I did not ask. He offered for me to stay with his family at his house in Peoria, which is very uh, – in Dunlap, Illinois, which is very, very gracious. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So um, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be leaving Saturday. And, uh, you know, it's like a 17-some-hour drive so I'll probably take a snooze and then get there on Sunday. And then Monday is actually check-in for this huge tournament. And then the tournament starts on Tuesday. And there is one round per day, and you have a tee time. So I'll play one round Tuesday, one round Wednesday. So it's a long tournament, but it's not necessarily very involved in that you only play one round a day. So... You know, disc golf round probably takes normally about three hours. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So there will probably be a lot of downtime, and I've already checked out the courses uh, online, and they actually send you pictures and everything. And what this is, is this is the PDGA's um, Masters World. So everybody playing in this tournament is 40 years old and over. Yeah, I'm an old guy. And so there are different divisions, age-projected divisions. There are, also, of course, divisions for men and women. And the professionals uh, for the 40 and over crowd will also be there. So they've changed it. I'm not going to get into all that. But all of the people there were like 40 years and over, and I'm playing in the, the men 50 and over. And uh, we'll see how it goes. It did not go well last year but in, in Orlando, but... This is a this is as big a tournament as there is for um, you know the older players uh, in disc golf. It's the PDGA Masters, and so it's a huge it's a huge huge deal. It's multiple multiple courses. Even though any division only plays two of them, there's like seven or eight or nine different courses that they use because of all the different divisions. I don't know uh, how many people are going to be there, maybe 800 players or something. I, I really don't know it specifically, but a huge number of players. And you get a lot of nice stuff uh, to be in it, and you do have to qualify. You have to, in the preceding year, you have to play in so many tournaments and accumulate so many points to be able to even play in this tournament. And so I, of course, did that because, as you know, I play a lot. And so I qualified, and I said, well, I have to go. And so that's where I will be next week. And so I will, uh, like I said, get there at Sunday to Dave's, 
do whatever. Monday, check in. Probably go at least check out one of the courses. I'm not going to have time. I'm going to have to play one of them blind, even though there is pictures and video online. And then I'll play one round Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then there's a cut. Uh, the top 30 players in my division out of 75 or whatever it is um, make the cut, and hopefully I'll make the cut, and then I get to play on Saturday. And then from there, I am actually going to be driving over to uh, Pennsylvania to see my dad for at least a few days, being that I'll be up that way anyway, and it's just a straight shot east about nine hours, although I lose an hour going from central time to eastern time. Uh, I'll go see him for a few days, and then I will be back to Florida. I anticipate, you know, I'll be leaving next Saturday, this coming Saturday, which is the 9th, and then the 16th. I anticipate being back before the back to Florida before the 23rd. I'm only going to stay with my dad for a few days. He only stayed with me for a few days, and once again, I was just up there in February for like 38 days, which is more than I would ever choose. <laughs> so uh, that's what I have going on over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I have to work ahead. That's why I'm going to be b- very, very busy uh, this week with work, uh, getting Friday's episode prepared, getting next Friday's episode prepared. And in fact, I'm going to be doing an interview on Friday evening. And then before I get in the car on Saturday to drive to Illinois, I'm going to be doing an interview on Zoom on Saturday morning. So actually Saturday, it'll be noon my time, but the guest uh, time will be 9 a.m. She's in California. So I will do that interview. And then as soon as I'm done and it's all saved, I'll jump in the car and start driving toward Illinois. So this is what you do when you're a podcaster and you don't like missing Fridays and you want to get work done and you are kind of a workaholic and everything else. But um, I'm really looking forward uh, to being up there. I am planning to see uh, a former guest of Unfound who lives in Illinois. We've talked about it. That's going to happen. I don't want to jinx it, though, uh, to put any pressure on her in case things you know, uh, we, we somehow can't get together. But if it happens, I'll let you know who it was. And um, I think you'll be very interesting, interested to hear about it because it is a uh, – it is uh, – I'll give you a hint. It's a, it's a disappearance that uh, we've actually done a revisitation on. We'll just get to say that. So that's what's going on. Uh, let me just see who is in here. Hello, Jasmine. Hello, Spleen Girl. Pumi, you're saying still haven't been able to find the new episode of uh, now searched every which way you should uh, Puma. What you should do is you should look uh, being that you are a member of the channel. You need to look in the community message section. And if that's not enough, you should know that I'm going to be releasing the next unfound now right after this live show is done. So I apologize that you missed that. Uh, I don't know why that happened, but it was a, a link that uh, I sent to all channel members like last Monday. It was, uh, as you now know, I do the updates. It's like one of those messages, but instead of being a link to the unfound update for that day, it was uh, a a link 
to the Unfound Now episode. At least that's what I thought I did. <laughs> In any case, uh, either way, Puma, after this, uh, Kathy, maybe being that you're a channel member, have you seen the most recent Unfound Now? Can you verify uh, that I know you're always up on that stuff, Kathy, if you can uh, give an opinion on that. Uh, hello, Kathy, by the way. Hello, Crystal. Happy 4th to everyone. Yeah, happy 4th. Mark, happy 4th to you. Greetings from Germany. Uh, wow, I feel special. What part of Germany, Mark, uh, in the, uh, the uh, of course, given my age, would you be in the West Germany part or the former East Germany part? Uh, you know, I, I, you should know, Mark, fascinated by uh, the whole thing regarding the Berlin Wall and all of that. Because I, I don't know what it is. Completely fascinated by it, the building of it, how people tried to escape from East Germany, life inside East Germany during that time. Mark, you should know that one of my favorite movies is The Lives of Others, which, of course, is a German film spectacular movie i thought um and i'm a big fan of das boot too puma uh thank you for this kind words thank you so as far as uh what i'm going to be doing uh driving up there uh what am i going to be listening to um i'm probably going to try to catch up on all of acdc's albums uh i i make it a point when i go on long um drive uh, for example, when I went to Amarillo three years ago, I listened to all of the Iron Maiden albums when I went there and back. When I drove to Pennsylvania um, one time, I was listening to the Van Halen albums. Uh, another long drive, I listened to all of the Led Zeppelin albums. So I think this time I'm planning to listen to all of the ACDC albums in order uh, going back to when they first started. That's the plan right now uh, for being in the car for all of those hours. However, I also have to admit I'm entertaining the idea of also listening to all of the Aerosmith albums. Not a huge, huge Aerosmith fan, but being that they they and Van Halen are cons and Metallica, I guess, are considered to be like the greatest rock bands from the United States ever. Um. Maybe I got to get, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Metallica fan either. It just kind of comes and goes. But maybe I need to give uh, Aerosmith a fair shake for once. So I'm thinking about that, but fairly sure it's going to be ACDC first. And uh, so that's kind of the stuff that's going on uh, right now uh, personally preparing i've already made a list typed out a list of everything that i need to take to illinois so i don't forget i don't forget anything including these computers this microphone you know whatever else and i'm gonna get the oil changed in my car before i go i need to check the tire pressures in my car you know just these little things that you got to do uh when you are going to go be going on a long trip and it's going to be a lot of miles. Like I said, 17-some hours to Illinois, and then nine hours over to my dad's, and then 16 hours uh, drive from Pennsylvania back to Florida. A lot of time in the car. 
Um, the car has about 91,500 miles on it. It's probably 1,300, 2,600, probably, I don't know, it'd be close to 95,000 miles when I'm done. So, and it just keeps trucking along. It's a Hyundai Sonata running great. Mark says, I live near Stuttgart. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Thank you, Mark. Um, Kathy, I know I've not said, so you haven't seen it either. Now I'm, now I'm concerned. Well, I apologize. I'll have to make it up to all of you members somehow, somehow if I forgot, uh, or did something wrong there. I'm not sure what happened. Boston, you are very, uh, generous with that super chat contribution. That's what uh, Boston actress did right there. And she's doing yard work. We'll have a great time. And you are very generous. Thank you. Spleen, I was driving, so I couldn't comment. But I like the idea of listening to ACDC. I'd go with Van Halen myself. I've already done Van Halen, though, Spleen. At least the David Lee Roth years. I'm not, I wasn't into the Sammy Hagar years. So, um, kind of, even the 5150 is fine. I'm a DR, DLR fan. So I really just uh, listened to the Van Halen, the the David Lee Roth Van Halen years. Well, of course, there's only, what, five or six albums. But, of course, with ACDC, they have, like, 20 albums, and so I have more than enough time. Same way with uh, uh, Iron Maiden. They have a ton of albums going back to the late 70s as well. Of course, ACDC goes back to the early 70s. So does Aerosmith. All right, let's move on to um, some of the uh, true crime items that I want to cover today. Of course, I have some unfound now stuff uh, or unfound stuff, and I also have some non-unfound stuff. And if there are any questions that you uh, would like to ask me just uh, you know, about unfound, about any disappearances, anything that's going on, anything about concerning me i did not get any questions before i started this live show today once again probably because of the day and the time but if there's any questions that you ever wanted to ask me uh now would be a good time being that we do have a smaller than usual crowd for uh this live show so let's just start here as i always do when we start getting into the true crime section of this live show and that is the Holly White poll. Um, in the discussion group, I always post a poll, the asking, trying to come up with a really good poll question that's that causes people to at least think about. Um, you know, it's just not something that you know is very easy. Well, this week, of course, given the circumstances of Holly's disappearance. I asked the most obvious question, do you think that Holly jumped off that bridge outside of Taos, New Mexico? And the discussion group, the members who chose to take part in the poll, overwhelmingly said that she did not. No, she did not. And given given my... uh, my expectations are I kind of have a really good feeling for the room in the discussion group. I cannot say that that uh, choice surprised me. Um, I, I do. I would tend to say that the discussion group 
tends to skew a lot toward, you know, foul play scenarios much more uh, than the think tank, which I'll get into in a second. But for the question, I just want to make sure I got this question right. It said, did Holly White jump off the Rio Grande Gorge Bridge? Overwhelmingly, 93% of the the respondents, I think that's what you call them, voters, said that she did not jump. Huh. Uh, Kathy, thank you for checking that. I just don't know. I, I apologize to all of you about that. I thought that I did post the unfound now. Um, well, it's going to be posted right after this live show is done. So, um, I will make it up to all of you members in some way, somehow. Um, but the Holly white poll for the think tank, which was just conducted last night, pretty much not everybody. There were at least one or two holdouts, uh, twinkle, uh, she was a holdout thinking that uh, that it was uh, a murder scenario. But a large majority of, I think we had maybe eight people in the think tank. It's a very small group, which is exactly what I like in that group. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, by the way. Um, we decided the exact opposite. That she did jump off the bridge. That she did commit suicide all on her own, all by choice. And I write a blog. I talk about it every live show. And um, my decision was that, yes, my decision was also that she did jump from the bridge. And the reason that uh, I, I came to my conclusion is that if we are to believe it's a, it was a murder scenario, then obviously her car was parked there to mislead investigators. It was parked there. It was put there to make people think that, yes, she did jump off the bridge when she really didn't, obviously. However, it would have not been better if you really, really want to mislead investigators, why wasn't the car parked out on the bridge itself? Because I think we all know that when people do choose to commit suicide by jumping off bridges, and if they do drive to the location, what do they do? They just drive their car right out into the middle uh, of the bridge and jump. Now, you can't do that at like uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, but you can do that at most other bridges uh, in the world. Now you used to be able to do that up until recently at the Golden Skyway or the Skyway Bridge, which is south of me, and that's the bridge that goes from St. Petersburg, Florida, down to Bradenton and Sarasota, Florida. What's well, a huge, beautiful bridge? It's this huge arch bridge because cruise ships have to be able to go under it to get into Tampa to Tampa Bay. That's where the port is. And so it's a huge, huge bridge, way up in the air. I've been over it many, many times. Beautiful bridge. Really, it's spectacular. Well, that is a suicide spot. And in fact, there are cameras up at the top of that uh, bridge. There's a suicide hotline phone up at the top of that bridge. And now, though, recently, they've put actually put up fencing on each side. But that was, that's just within maybe the last 
I don't know, year to two years. But they did have people who would go there and jump. And what did these people do? They would drive right up to the top of it and jump. Leave the car there and jump. Now, maybe because they couldn't park it down at the bottom of the bridge because it's a long walk up, maybe. But usually when people jump off bridges, they leave their cars in the middle. So if I know that, and I think the general public knows that, if this was a murder, why didn't the perpetrator, the alleged killer of Holly do that? And if you really, really wanted to make people think that she jumped off the bridge, instead of seemingly throwing her shoe in the water, why not just put her shoes right out in the middle of the bridge with her car? And if you really, really, really wanted to make people think that she jumped off the bridge, because once again, the killer is trying to get away with something. Why not just put maybe some of her clothes there, too, as if she got out of her car, took off her shoes, took off her clothes and jumped? Why not just do that? Why do the absolute, absolute minimum if you're really trying to make it seem like she jumped off the bridge? So because of that. I decided that uh, Holly jumped and it's, there's a long, 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 longer explanation that went for about, I don't know, 3,500 words on Patreon. It's a private blog, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. So, um, and we also have to think on, on top of everything else that, you know, Holly had a lot going on. She just did. Not any one thing seemed like uh, maybe a big deal to your average person. But you add that up. And I think what also caught my ear, and maybe it caught yours too, even though it seems like a majority of people think that she was murdered, that it was really odd to me that one of the co-workers was there. And when she didn't show up for that going away party on Friday morning, somebody actually thought someone should go check the bridge. That's very peculiar. And that's, I guess it's a fact because I can say, and you should know something given the skyway bridge is a suicide spot. Although I don't know how much it is a suicide spot now, given everything that they've done with the fencing and everything. I really don't know, but Here's what I think I know. The Skyway Bridge is closer to me now than the bridge was, the the Rio Grande Bridge was to um, Holly. And I got to say, if I don't, if somebody's planning for me to show up somewhere, of course, I don't have coworkers (laughs) to show up at at a work or anything. But let's say I'm supposed to go to trivia. Everybody thinks that I'm going to to be there for trivia, but I'm not there on that Thursday evening. I can guarantee you none of those people are going to think somebody better go check the Skyway Bridge. Instead, people are going to think, well, maybe my car broke down. Maybe I was in a wreck. Maybe something came up. This, that, the other thing. They're not going to say, well, somebody better go check the Skyway Bridge. That somebody did bring it up who knew Holly, who worked with her, tells me that this person might have thought that she might have been on the edge and it just wasn't maybe that well known to some people. So that also sticks out to me as well. 
Um, so going back, um, Spleen Garage, Kathy. So no unfound now. Once I'm going back to that, we're going to talk about the unfound now episode that's going to be coming out here in a bit. Once again, I apologize to all of you in green. I apologize. I don't know what happened there. I thought I posted it like a week ago. And in fact, I double checked Puma after I did that. And I thought I saw it. Uh, maybe something technologically happened there. I don't know. But uh, I promise to you, members, that I will make it up to you somehow. Uh, Spleen Girls asked me, do you think you'll live in Florida for the rest of your life? I know you never know. Um, Spleen, uh, I will, I've not uh, hidden my uh, feelings that I do miss Las Vegas. Uh, I love Florida. I've made tons of friends here. Uh, of course, where I live currently in this condo is spectacular. This is the kind of uh, living that all, uh, I always want to do, although I do get some financial assistance from my dad to live here because this is the kind of place when he came to Florida that he wanted to be in, even though he only stayed for five days the last time. What are you going to do? Uh, trust me, if he wasn't, uh, if he didn't bring this, this idea up after my mother died in 2018, then I wouldn't be in this place. I would be still, probably still living in Madeira beach and I would have been there when the hurricane swept through and I would have got flooded out. So that's just how life works sometimes. Yeah. If you don't know my old place in Madeira beach, uh, many of you have been with me or been with Unfound that long. Remember that. Remember I used to do the live shows and the Johnny Depp poster, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean was in the background. Do you all remember that now? Oh yeah, remember now. In fact, that that picture is now right over there. But um, that place got flooded in 2020 when a tropical storm or hurricane came through here. And they got about two feet of water in that building where I lived. So everything would have been trashed. Uh, so I guess it was fate for me to move out of there. My, my landlord who lives next door, her place got totally messed up. In fact, I just saw her last week. I keep in contact with her. I stop in once in a while to see how she's doing. And uh, it's only been recently that it's gotten kind of back to normal. Like it took two years to redo everything. They had to rip the walls out. I mean, really, really bad. But had that not all come up in 2018, I think I would still be living in my place in Madeira Beach. It was right there on the street. Um, I didn't mind it. You know, it was a very little, quaint little place. Uh, there was a coffee shop next door. Um, you know, the beach was just a very, very short walk. The rent was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> not cheap now, given that my uh, former landlord has refurbished it and everything. She's charging a lot more these days. But I thought about moving back to Las Vegas. But I, I have to admit, Spleen, that the one thing that may get in the way of that is that I'm not saying that Las Vegas is going to vanish or anything, but you know they are having tons of water issues out there. Uh, and that was really something that started while I lived there over 10 years ago that Lake Mean dropped, drop, 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 drop. And, you know, what are they going to do for water? And so do I really want to, I know people are still moving there. It's a fascinating place. Absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. 
And I love that there are a lot of good memories. So I have a lot of great friends there. I love the excitement. And the thing about where I live now, it's just a little slow. Um, and in fact, I've thought about once this lease comes up for next May, May 2023, do I want to move somewhere? If I'm going to stay in Florida, do I want to move somewhere that has a little more excitement? It's really quiet here, really slow. Whereas right up the beach, like not even a mile is actual Clearwater Beach. Uh, you know, the actual city and, and all those things. And I thought, do maybe I want to move over there. It just seems like there's a lot more going on. And so these are things that are going through my mind, Spillane. Here's what I know. I'm never moving back to Pennsylvania. It's either going to be Florida or Nevada. That's where it's going to be for the rest of my life. That's that's the way it's going to be. Um, although I have friends in LA, uh, I could not live in LA. Too many, too much weird stuff goes on there. Too many restrictive stuff, laws, and everything. I just couldn't do it. Um, so it's either Nevada or Florida for me. And really, if we're talking Florida, we're talking this Tampa area, Pinellas County, or we're talking Las Vegas. It's one or the other for the rest of my life, and I'm cool with that. Um, so there you go. Do you think you live in uh, – yes, thank you. Uh, Kathy, thank you. Uh, Tech Death, Spling Girl, both are the best. Throw Pantera on too. You know, Tech Death, I'm not really a Pantera uh, fan. I, I know it's like, well, that's the same as you know Metallica. That's the same as Megadeth. It's really not. Not to my ear. I've tried Pantera. Uh, I have felt my fellow, some of my fellow disc golfer friends when we play music out on the course that are playing Pantera. I know Pantera. I know many of their songs. It's just a little too um, non-musical for me. It's a little too much shouting. It's a little too much speed. It's, uh, once again, for my taste. And, yeah, I know it's not... Uh, I just love them. That's great, Tech Death. Uh, and, I, and I think I have a wide taste in music. Um, but there's, there's just somewhere in that line where we get to like, you know, you start getting more towards the heavier side. You know, you kind of go from like, you know, the hair bands and then you get a little harder. Maybe you get into a little Queensryche and you go a few steps further. There's like Iron Maiden. And then you go a few steps past that. There's like Metallica and Megadeth. And then it seems anything past that, it's just I lose con- I lose touch with it. Uh, so maybe you might put, Pan- you put Pantera in there. You might put Ministry in there. You might put Slayer in there. It just kind of loses me. And so just as if you go the opposite direction that, um, you know, if you go the opposite direction, like if you get too much the other way, like if you start getting into like, for me, um, Tom Petty, Bob Seger, uh, Steve Miller band, that's a little too light. I know they're considered rock, considered rock. It just doesn't have what I would call it doesn't have any crunch to it. Um, so it's everything in between those extremes is where my, uh, rock musical taste is. 
you know, like uh, Bruce Springsteen, once again, doesn't do a lot for me. I think, uh, you know, um, Born in the USA, fantastic album. But overall, all of his music just doesn't have enough crunch for me. I feel the same way about the Beatles. I'm not a Beatles fan. So uh, that's a great, uh, it's a, but that's a great topic. I could talk about that stuff. Being that I am a musician, I could talk about that type of stuff all the time, like musical tastes and why people like certain groups and don't like these bands and like these bands and what went wrong on this album and why do these songs stick out and these other ones don't. That's always fascinating to me. To, and so that's why I like listening to like going back and listening to a lot of bands that I really, really like listening to all their albums in a row. Because even with Iron Maiden, uh, on that trip to Amarillo and back, I discovered like five or six songs that I had never heard of before that are fantastic that are now on my you know hits list for Iron Maiden. I love that. So um, there you go. Yeah, I, yeah. Tech Test says I need crunch too. Yes. Okay. All right, let's move on. So that was the Holly White poll and Spleen Girl. Thank you for the question. That's a great question. On the topic of the unfound now, and once again. Um, I apologize to my, the members, the, uh, on this channel. Sometimes I, I thought I posted it last week and I, I checked and I thought he did. Maybe there's something wrong with the link or something. I don't know. But, uh, and if, uh, for all of you, uh, members of this channel, when I figure out what the mistake was, I will let all of you know as best I can. Moving on. I did do an unfound now. I, I did it like last Monday. And it will be released right after this live show, this YouTube live show on July 4th is done. And it is the disappearance of Dylan Rounds uh, from the Nevada slash Utah border, Lucen, Utah, which is very close to Nevada. This is not an area of Nevada that is familiar to me. I've been to Utah many times as well. This is also not an area of Utah that is familiar to me. I've been... You know, right along the 15, like Cedar City, you know, the whole way up to Salt Lake City, Provo, and, and all of that area. But you get me off of uh, uh, 15 in Utah, I've not been to any of those places. In fact, I didn't even go to like Monument Valley or any of that when I lived in Las Vegas. But it's going to be the disappearance of Dylan Rounds. Uh, there is a map included in the video where I look at these different locations, where his farm was, where his garage was, where these trucks were. And I think that I straighten out some of the issues because even reading all of the coverage, and of course his disappearance has gotten a lot of coverage nationally even. And I did not cover it for that reason. It falls into the, uh, you know, what I do with Unfound now, I cover a disappearance that is recent and we were due. It was the end of June. It's just the way it worked out. Um, but I go through all of that, but there are a lot of conflicting facts out there in news. And so it was a little tough to put the video together, to be honest, because there do, do seem to be in different stories. They say different things. And, uh, of course, I, I run into that sometimes anyway with disappearances we cover on the regular Friday episodes. 
But as you know, most of the time, the, the disappearances we're covering on the Friday episodes do, net, do not get all of the attention that Dylan's disappearance is getting. Now, why has it gotten so much attention? I think it's probably a combination of things. Uh, you know, maybe we could look at it for the same reason that Tom Brown's disappearance. We now know death got so much attention. Good young man. You know, liked by a lot of people, hardworking, and then he goes missing. In contrast to young man who's criminal, a criminal who's an addict, who had warrants out for his arrest, arrest, and those, as we know, those disappearances don't get as much attention. Of course, we at Unfound don't care uh, about people's backgrounds or anything else. People want to talk, I'm ready to talk. But I think that's why Dylan's disappearance has gotten so much attention, kind of just given who people think he is. In addition, he's out there, what I would say, in the middle of nowhere. And so where did he go? And so a lot of people are thinking about the idea of foul play. Somebody show up at his land while he was there and he couldn't fight them off, or was he lured away? And... I think that's why it's gotten as much attention nationally as it has. And this is not a short video. It's 50 minutes long between my opening and then going to the map and kind of going through the facts and kind of trying to sort them out for all of you. Uh, So you kind of have a good understanding of what really, really is the timeline. And then after, of course, I... As always, I have these three learning points that I talk about in depth. It ended up being about 50 minutes, and I hope you all will find it informative and maybe give you a a new idea of what possibly could have happened to Dylan. Uh, I do offer some of my insights at the end. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm firm on anything, but as you know, when I comment, on these types of things. I usually it's more of a concern. Here are the things that concern me. Or maybe I say, here are things I don't see and here are things I do see. And that's kind of what I do at the end of the Dylan rounds. Uh, uh, unfound now. Once again, as soon as this is over today, so around 2 p.m. Eastern, it will be made public and everybody will be able to partake in the video. Um, uh, Spleen Girl says, your taste in rock is very similar to mine. I like other music, but what you just described is very similar to what I feel. Steve Miller not being too great on one end, nor Venom on the other. Yes. Everything in between there, uh, is fine. It, it, it I, I guess what I would say, Spleen Girl, when it comes to my musical taste, at least on the lighter side, the softer side, maybe, is that it seems to me that I have something against... Uh, unattractive white guys whose band names are their names. <laughs> Steve Miller, Tom Petty. I know it's Steve Miller and the band and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but, you know, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. When, when the name is like that, it seems like I just don't want to have anything to do with them. And it also could be that... um. That kind of music was very, very uh, popular uh, when I was growing up in Western Pennsylvania. WDVE, which is the big rock station in Pittsburgh, has been forever, still is there. Uh, spectacular. Anybody who was anybody in Western Pennsylvania at the time listened to DVE. 
And they now play Steeler games and things now, which you could have never imagined in the 1980s. But, uh, you know, they play, and they still do, I think, play a lot of Steve Miller, a lot of Bob Seger, a lot of Steve Petty, or Tom Petty, Steve Petty, Tom Petty. And maybe it's just I got a little burnout too, and it's never come back. And I do find myself... You know, uh, starting in like my late 40s into my early 50s, listening to a lot of music that I never listened to in high school. You know, usually high school is what forms kind of your musical taste for your life. It's those formative years, very emotional years. You attach uh, those songs to dances and dates and all sorts of things. And I still listen to a lot of those groups. You know, Def Leppard was a big Def Leppard fan. Who wasn't in the 1980s? And some other groups. But for example, I never listened to Iron Maiden in the 1980s or the early 1990s in college. The funny thing is that I had a uh, a close friend. His name is Mike Martin. He was from uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, although I've not talked to him since graduation. But he lived right down the hall from me. Um, both my junior and senior year, we were in the same housing group. We played on intramural teams together. He was a huge Iron Maiden fan, had the posters and everything. And I thought this guy was crazy. I was like, I don't listen to that crap. And now I have an Iron Maiden bedspread. <laughs> so things have changed. I never listened to Megadeth. I thought, oh, Steve, Dave Mustaine, he's crazy. That's like, get that out of my face. Now Dave Mustaine is like one of my favorite rock musicians ever. I don't know. I don't know what happened in my late 40s to kind of change my taste. But I still like Whitesnake and Def Leppard. And, and, you know, I'm a huge Kiss fan. I got them on the walls. There's Megadeth. You know, Rolling Stones are fine. Uh, You know, Judas Priest. They were okay in the 1980s. Now I'm a huge Judas Priest fan. I went and saw them last year over in Orlando. I can't explain it. I don't know. Uh, I think that it seems to me my perception is people get older, their tastes get softer or lighter. Mine's gone the opposite for some reason. I I, I don't know. Um Mark asks me, this is a bizarre case. Looking forward to your video and your takes on the case. Mark, thank you very much. Uh, Like I said, probably about a little over an hour. Once again, as soon as I click off uh, and this, uh, it will be made public. Uh, Spleen Girl found that funny tech death. I need giant guitars. I do too. But it just has to be a little more more melodic tech death. Um, Like I said, uh, Pantera, Slayer, it's a little too much... You know, it just doesn't sound very musical to me. And when I listen to the singers, I'm like, well, I could shout that. You know, and that's when I'm looking into music. I, you know, like listening to music that is difficult. I can't sing like Bruce Dickinson. (laughs) And that's, those are the things that impress me. Tech Death, what did you think of Dime Bear being murdered on stage? Uh, I've, I've watched... You know, there there seemed to be even more than one documentary about that. It's very sad. Um, but I think that what, you know, obviously there was something wrong with that guy. Obviously. I, I If he doesn't do it that night, maybe he does it some other night. But I think 
that we also, if you are a, a public person, whether you're just a podcaster like myself or you're somebody who's actually famous, you always have to be cognizant of those things. And is it, was it predictable that somebody would actually go up on stage and shoot them? Probably not. But there's reasons that there are security at these places. And you take those precautions and things. Um, you know, I even know for myself that, you know, unless it's unavoidable, like, you know, this disc golf tournament that's coming up where, you know, you can publicly see where I'm going to be. Other than that, I really try to avoid letting people know when I'm going out and, and things because you just don't know. You should know. I've ticked off a lot of people with this podcast. Lots. So, and as have other True Crime podcasters, that's not just solo to me. John Lorden, Marissa at the Vanished, you know, we, we, we ruffle a lot of feathers. So, um, you just have to be aware of that. Uh, Mark says, I saw Judas Priest and Kiss in 2015. Oh, if I could have only been there, Mark. If only. I've seen Kiss twice. I've seen Judas Priest once. I would see them again. I actually, that same year, Mark, I saw Def Leppard and Kiss together. Def Leppard with Kiss. Or maybe that was the year before. Yeah, great. Tech Death says, yes, he tried in Cincinnati before Columbus. So you're right. He got arrested in Cincinnati a year earlier at their show and he came back. Yeah. Uh, tech death, probably avoidable. Very, very sad. And I, like I said, I'm not a fan of the band. Dimebed Daryl seemed like a perfectly great person and and it's all very sad, but probably avoidable. Probably very sad though. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, tech death, where you're just kind of surprised it doesn't happen more. A lot of kooks out there. A lot of uh, fans who think that they deserve access or they feel like they know the podcaster or the musician or the actor or whoever, they think they deserve that. And when they don't get it, they get ticked off. You got to watch out for those people. Got to watch out for them. Um, Because even though they may be a little loose up here, they can figure out ways to get around security. You know, they can get very creative. So you always have to, uh, as we say, have your head on a swivel. Let's move on to this. I want to pass on a Seven Eleven story that I think has uh, kind of shaped my thinking regarding disappearances and crime in general over the last twenty plus years. Uh, maybe some of you don't know, so I'll just go it through very quickly. And especially since we have a lot, a lot of new listeners to this show on the on the podcast feed. When I moved to Las Vegas in 1998, the first job I had. Had was a field consultant for 7 Eleven. I moved uh, to Las Vegas in May. I got the job in June. And in fact, 24 years ago, I can remember working on July 4th, 1998. So exactly 24 years ago today. I can remember that. And I just started there. And they put you through like a training program. And then they require that you manage a 7-Eleven for like a month before you actually become a field consultant, which means you work for the corporation and you go to your little area of stores, you know, um, communicating with the franchisees, 
you know, making sure they're following the rules and all of that stuff. I was kind of like, you know, you know, the man, you know, sticking it to the man. I would be the man in that situation. And 7-Eleven has a very unique setup, unlike McDonald's. You know, McDonald's, if you want to have a franchise, you, franchise, you just, you know, figure it all out. <clears throat> you pay them the money and then they'll give you all the stuff. Well, with, with 7-Eleven, the franchisee does not own everything. It's all split almost 50-50, but the nice thing is that – why is my voice – oh, man, my voice. But um, but it's very easy for 7-Eleven franchisees to get out of their agreements. You don't have a lot of – you don't put a lot up front. So if you decide it's not for me, if you back out or quit, you don't lose much either. Whereas with McDonald's and most other franchises – companies who do that you have a big you know buying at the beginning but any money you make you get to keep it all pretty much that is not the way for 7-eleven however if you lose it if you don't doesn't go right then you could be in debt for the rest of your life so it's a little different situation at 7-eleven at least that's the way it was 20 years ago well my first boss my first supervisor which would have been I think he was called the marketing manager and Las Vegas was divided into two markets kind of like northern Las Vegas and southern Las Vegas and I was in the southern Las Vegas part um his name was Bill Nolan and he's still around I in preparation for this talk I actually looked him up he's not in Las Vegas anymore. He's in Indiana. He's still in the convenience store business, which I can't even imagine. I had 10 months of it and that's all I could take. But he was my first supervisor. He was the guy who hired me. I went in, I interviewed with him. He hired me. My second boss, my second supervisor, once I think Bill got promoted, was Carmen Geiger. And her last name is G-I-G-A-R. And she and I did not get along at all. I got along with Bill much better, even though I really don't want to get into all of that. But Carmen Geiger was my second supervisor, and she was the one when I quit. I just showed up on a Monday and quit. I didn't even give him two weeks' notice. <laughs> That's how much I wanted out of there. I showed up on a Monday morning. Gave uh, I had a company car. I said, here's the keys to the car. Here's all my paperwork. Here's everything. I'm out of here. Best thing I ever did in my life. But in any case, I ended up managing a store, being responsible for a store at Sunset and Mountain Vista. The building is still there, but it's not a 7-Eleven anymore. You can look it up on a map. It's right near the intersection of Sunset and, and uh, Mountain Vista, kind of in that Henderson area. In fact, the, the store was there when the, the whole uh, Pepcon explosion happened down in Henderson. It blew out all the windows in that store. That was some of the... the people had told me because that had only happened 10 years before that at the time you can look up the pepcon explosion here on youtube but i had some you know employees and here is here's what happened i had a night shift guy i'm just going to call i think his name was dave i don't even remember his last name but he was the night shift guy and you know, I was, what, 28 at the time. He must have been like a few years younger than I was. Um, you know, 
23, 24, but he worked the night shift from like 11 in at night or 10 at night till six in the morning, something like that. And so I come in one morning and I find out that the night before, see, there are slot machines in the 7-Eleven, all 7-Elevens, and the slot companies pay for that space. And then they split the whatever money is put into the uh, slot machines with the, the corporation, the franchisees, whoever. And so if you go into a 7-Eleven in Las Vegas, there, there's going to be like four or five slot machines right there by the door. And that's the way this 7-Eleven was. Well, I come in the next morning, this one morning, and one of the machines is not working. And I found out that Dave, the the night shift guy, had called the company and a tech person was going to come out to find out what was going on. Why did this machine, um, you know, break down? What was going on with it? Well, the tech shows up, opens it up, and here what it turned out to be is that somebody – had a quarter with a string and taped it to the string and was trying to set off the the sensor on the machine so the person could continue to play over and over and over with the same quarter. So it was one of those video slot machines. You know, you're trying to get like, uh, what is it, a Royal Flush? It's one of those Royal Flush machines. And so whoever it was had been doing that while the thing got stuck. The quarter and the tape and the string all got stuck down inside the mechanism. And obviously, whoever it was, of course, did not let anybody know and took off. And I found out about this. I felt, you know, you just never know what you're going to write. I saw I, it, so many crazy stories when I, when I worked in for 7-Eleven. Ten months, I have a novel worth of stories from working at 7-Eleven. It's just crazy. It was just ten months of craziness and that's why i got out although looking back now it was fun looking back now it's funny at the time i was so stressed out you don't even know so i find out about this and i think somehow bill found out about it well you should know that bill nolan before i worked for 7-eleven he was a las vegas metro detective and the story went this is what i was told i don't know if he ever specifically told me was that he quit working for Metro because his wife was afraid he was going to die on the job. When really, he was probably more likely to die on the job at 7-Eleven. But, um, so that's, I heard why he quit. I don't remember if he specifically told me that. But he was, you know, he, you know, I'm probably older than he was then, but he seemed like ancient at the time, but he was probably in his 40s or something, late 40s. And, um, but he had been a Metro cop and then he'd become a detective. And like I said, I heard that he had quit that to go to something else that was safer. And so he had been, um, a a detective for, I don't know how many years. And then he had worked his way up just like, you know, becoming a field consultant and worked his way up to marketing manager. And like I said, about. Three or four months into me working at 7-Eleven, he got promoted, and then Carmen Geiger took his place. And then after I quit, she quit, and I think she ended up working for the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce, I think. In any case, Bill finds out about the slot machine that had been tampered with. He actually shows up at my store to talk to me about it, right there in, in Henderson. 
And he he started, you know, he wanted the facts. Once again, remember, he's a detective. He was a detective. And he's asking me, well, what were the facts? And the, I told them as well as I knew them. And he, he said it was so quick. It was so quick. It wasn't, he did not even have to, uh, you know, think about it. And he goes, well, I'm going to think about that. Because the belief was it was just somebody off the street who came in there and was messing around and did it. That was... At the time, that's what I was thinking. I explained to him this facts, and as soon as I was done explaining the story to him, he says, you know it was your employee who did that, right? Just, it's just so matter, just so quickly, so matter of fact. I looked at him. I was like, what? No, Dave told me. He goes, no, 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 no. He did it. He was the one who was doing it. Your employee was in here. You know, and, you know, and the thing was, is yes, we had video cameras, but the video cameras were not pointed at the slot machines, as is the case with most, most convenience stores. They're pointed at the registers. Why? Because 90% of the theft that happens in stores are done by, the theft is done by employees, not customers. That's true across all retail outlets. So, and there was no video. So we had no video of who was sitting there and Dave would go out of camera and back into camera and everything. So I'm just thinking it was a customer. Bill Nolan said, nope, 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 nope. That's not what happened. And don't you know that he was right? Here I'm thinking that it was an employee or it was a customer who was messing around. And it turned out that one of the, you know, persons like in security for 7-Eleven or something actually called Dave in, interrogated him, and he ended up that, it, yes, it was he who did that. That on his shift, when customers weren't in there, he was going over to that machine and dunking that quarter in there, and it got stuck. And then he was the one who caught it because he had to do that. Or, it would, or if he didn't call it in, it would look suspicious. So he, the, the employee was the person who was the criminal. I, and I don't even know, you know what they did to him, but uh, I don't remember that. But it was just so amazing to me that here I am so confident that it was just some customer doing it because customers do a lot of you know, illegal stuff too. He goes, no, 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 no. It's your employee. Your employee did it. And he was right. Just, just general facts. And I have to admit that that story still sticks with me to this day. Of course, at the time, podcasting didn't even exist. I had an interest in disappearances and, and crime at the time, but there was no way that 20 years later it could ever predict that I'd be doing this. But that story sticks with me so much. And it was only like, like a total of like a two-minute conversation. But because of his experience as a detective, his experience working in, in stores before becoming marketing manager, that he had that insight to just laser in on that and get it right, even before Dave was even talk, questioned. It's amazing. It, it, it was amazing, and it sticks with me to this day. And I think that it, when it comes to these disappearances now, I think it's one of the reasons that – uh, I I stay away from those like very complex theories. So many of you like <laughs> that. Yes, it was just one guy working in the store. It wasn't some customer who was doing it and avoiding being seen by you know the clerk who's working or anybody else who came in and 
somehow that person ended up getting in the store and was able to do this for a while and not get caught. You know, how could somebody do that? Not something that complex. It was actually the person working the store. Always got to remember that. I also have a story about how a truck driver was stealing cigarettes from the store, but another time. But if you want like an insight into one of the reasons my mind works the way it does, it's because of that story. I've never told that story on a live show before. I just realized that recently. I've never passed that along. So, um, you know, I have to admit that my 7-Eleven years, uh, months, <laughs> were not good. But uh, they certainly did teach me a lot. I, I f- found out working at 7-Eleven. I was 28 years old. Um, and, and I worked there from like June of 98 till April of 99 when I quit right there on the spot. I figured out that I had a lot of growing up to do. Even though I was that age and everything, and I really didn't start, you know, there's just so many things there that were just, I look back, they're very embarrassing on how I did things, how I handled things. It really, I would not say that I started to mature to a level of acceptability until my 30s. Probably while working at Star Trek and then working as a stage manager in Las Vegas, it took a little while. I just look back at those uh, that time in at 7-Eleven. It was just so, so immature and things. It was not, it was not good. But so in other things, though, I, I it, but it was helpful. It was just so totally uh, helpful to my maturity. Gained a lot of ex- work experience and knowing how bad things can be in certain situations. So. But that's a really – I thought that was a really cool story. Uh, Spleen is saying, no kidding. My best friend's dad got shot at 7-Eleven when he worked there in the 1980s. Uh, you should know, Spleen, that in that time in communicating with the franchisees that I had, and I mainly had uh, – I was responsible for – just for that short time, responsible for 7-Elevens east of the Strip, east of Las Vegas Boulevard, you know, kind of around the east, going down to like eastern. So there were a couple 7-Elevens on Tropicana between Maryland Parkway and eastern. There were a couple 7-Elevens over there on Flamingo, like by eastern. Those stores right in that area. Not the roughest of neighborhoods, but not the safest of neighborhoods either. But every one of my franchisees had a story about somebody getting shot in a store. And in fact, the one franchisee, one of his clerks, was murdered in the store. So, Spleen, I can't say that I'm too surprised by that. Um, Every one of them had some sort of shooting story. And in fact, while I worked there, while I was there for those 10 months, um, there was a shooting at a 7-Eleven store in North Las Vegas where the guy got shot in the parking lot, crawled into the store, and died. I did not. I was not there to see it, but um, that happened while I was at Seven Eleven. The craziest story. I don't even have time to tell. Maybe we'll save that for the next live show. I will pass along another 
live show story just to a 7-Eleven sh- story because uh, that one is is a really bizarre one as well. It doesn't so much have to do with an investigation like the one I just told you, but it's it kind of encapsulates my 7-Eleven experience. That'll be for next time. Let's move on. Uh, of course, uh, last Friday was the first uh, – or this past Friday was – July 1st, so I hope you got your newsletter. It was a good one. 3,000-some words for your reading pleasure. If you are not on the email list, please email me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, so that was a good one. And uh, let's see, Stitching. Hey, hello, Stitching. Getting in here a little late today. That's okay. We still got 45 minutes to go. And Spleen, yes, yikes, this happened in L.A. Yeah, the dangerous. Uh, one of the scariest times I ever had at 7-Eleven. I actually worked for some overnight shifts, both both at that store there and at a 7-Eleven store at Decatur and Flamingo. It's scary. It's so scary. Three in the morning. Oh, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how people do it. I just... So moving on, um, I should say this, given uh, I mentioned about how I'm going to be in Illinois next week. I'm going to be in the Peoria area. I do have work to do. I do want to spend some uh, quality, quality, quality time with my buddy Dave and his family. I am going to be meeting a a, a former a, a guest of Unfound there, but... If there are any listeners in the area, if I could make the time, if you are in that area of Illinois, maybe we can arrange some meetup or something like that. I can't guarantee anything, but if anybody is in that area, wants to email me, unfoundpodcast.com, maybe we can make something happen. Once again, there are other things on top of going and playing the tournament that have to be done, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, this coming Friday, uh, I'll get into what the episode's going to be at the end of this live show, but you should know that I will be, we have a, as you know, the podcast now has ads. Um, I don't have a lot of control over what the advertisements are, but I do have control of when they play. That's why you never get any, any interruptions during the interviews, but I am going to be doing, uh, there is a company. That contacted me a little over a month ago that uh, is going to be advertising on the podcast, and I will actually be doing the pitch myself. They actually sent me some test product. I've tried it. I like it. And so you can look forward to that uh, this Friday. Uh, It'll somewhat be off the top of my head, although it'd be recorded, of course. But. be looking forward, uh, looking to that, and uh, the product is actually called Magic Mind, and you will hear what I have to say about it uh, this Friday. I don't know how many episodes they are going to uh, be a part of. Maybe it'll just be for a month. I don't know, but they approached me. They sent me some product. I tried it. In fact, there's a video that I, I filmed myself trying this drink for the first time, and that will be made public sometime this week. So you can see my initial first 
impression of this drink. So you can check it out uh, for yourselves, but I probably won't make that video public until later this week near Friday. So be looking for that. That'll be starting this Friday. And like I said, I don't know how many episodes are going to choose to uh, advertise on, but it'll at least be two or three. Moving on to uh, let's let's go to an article, and this is news. This comes from Chile, the country of Chile. A worker in Chile submitted his resignation and could not be found after his job accidentally paid him 330 times his salary because of a payroll error, according to reports. The worker, a dispatch dispatch assistant at Cold Meats Manufacturer Consorcio Industrial de Alamitos, received a paycheck of $180,000 for the month of May. Nice work if you can get it. He was only supposed to be paid $540. Of course, I'm converting it from pesos. The worker initially alerted his manager of the massive overpayment, according to local media outlet Diario Financiario. The manager would then report the issue to Human Resources, who asked the worker to give his bank to go to his bank and return the extra money. He agreed to go to the bank the next day, but kept the money and ignored communications from his employer over the next few days. The man then offered his resignation through a letter sent to the company by his attorney. The worker has not been heard from since uh, Diario Financiario reported. Consorcio Industrial de Alimentos has filed a complaint against the worker alleging he was misappropriating funds, but no arrests have been made so far. So this is a, a unique kind of disappearance case. And it does remind me that we have not covered a disappearance yet, although maybe the dub Wackerhagen one might be one. We have not covered a disappearance where it's actually the disappearance of a criminal who's like on the run. Like a dub Wackerhagen and his son going missing. That may be the situation. There is though the also belief that that woman was murdered, but they might have been murdered somewhere else too. I guess I have to be open to that possibility. But we've not yet uh, covered a disappearance of like guy or couple on the run. Um, we've covered disappearances of people who have warrants, but I don't know if these people went missing because of those warrants. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't know if necessarily they're on the run. And and in fact, I think. Most of the time, when we've covered some missing people who had warrants, I don't know how big of a deal. They're probably going to be going to jail for a little while, but it wasn't something where they were going to be going to jail for years and years and years and years. So it's hard to be connect the person going disappearing and whatever charges were against him. Uh, although maybe some of you may go back and, and find out. It just doesn't seem to me that we've really covered the disappearance of an outright person on the run however i will tell you we may be doing that um i had a conversation with a listener last night who's been working on a couple different disappearance disappearances but one in particular 
you could believe that this couple is on the run. You could believe that. And so I've, you know, why is that? Why have we not um, covered, you know, a, a disappearance that is straight out? Somebody did something and is on the run. For example, somebody, um, you know, uh, committed a, 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 you know, a bank heist or robbed a Brinks truck. And everybody knows who the person or the group was and all of these people have disappeared. Why haven't we done that yet? It's probably a combination of things. Um, first of all, those kinds of things are rare. They're, of course, disappearances, even though there's 100,000 unsolved of them, they are still fairly rare for them to get at least a year old. But they're still very important, as we all know. But even within that, people who go missing and they're on the run is just even, of course, way – is just a very, 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 very small subset of disappearances. You know, maybe one in a thousand or one in 10,000 or something. So I think that's the reason we've not gotten around to that yet, where it's just outright, those are what the facts are. I'm certainly interested in doing that. Maybe another reason is that if it is something like a heist, who do you talk to? (laughs) Are you going to talk to like the Brinks truck driver? Maybe. Might be a good person to talk to. You know, I don't know. Of course, I don't know. We can't get probably get too in-depth on who these people were. If it's John Smith and Jane Doe who committed this heist, the driver, of course, unless he was involved, uh, kind of an inside job, is not going to know them. So is somebody from, like, the FBI going to talk to me about that? Probably not. Uh, at least not for a very long conversation, certainly not the hour and a half to two hour interviews that I do for the regular episodes. Um, that's probably another reason, you know, that might get in the way of covering a disappearance like that. And, uh, you know, the other part of it is that, you know, sometimes these things get resolved, uh, you know, fairly quickly. So we may have situations like that, but they aren't on the run for that long. So they're rare, and these people usually end up getting caught fairly quickly anyway. Although there are stories, you can find them on Wikipedia and elsewhere, where there were robberies, big-time robberies, art heists, etc. The people were never caught. Maybe the Gardner Museum in Boston, that, that was what, 30 years ago now, something like that. Uh, the, all of that, those paintings were taken. And they have suspicions of who did it, but nobody's ever been charged with anything. So there's those situations where we just, you know, that, that's still very rare. So getting back to this story regarding this, you know, it just struck me as, you know, we haven't covered anything like this. I don't know how well this worker is going to be able to hide himself before getting caught. Uh, surely they have uh, – they're looking at his bank account. What is he doing with this money, keeping tabs on it in case he does use some sort of ATM card or something? Uh, my belief probably is this is going to get resolved very quickly. And you know, if the laws in Chile are like the laws in the United States, this guy has no right to this money. You know, Just because the company made a mistake doesn't mean he gets to keep the money due to that mistake. 
And if he doesn't watch himself, he could get in a you know much bigger trouble than he's already in if he goes and spends that money. You know, we have to think back maybe to like Sherry Papini. Certainly what she did was wrong and illegal. But the part that's really going to get Sherry Papini in trouble and has gotten her in trouble is that she took that state money because she claimed she was a victim. You know, it was the the fraud associated with taking that money and then spending it, pretending to be somebody that she wasn't, that was really the, really, the, really the big, big deal. The lying and pretending that she got, that's certainly horrible. But the spending of the money, tapping state funds, California state funds, and spending it was the worst part as far as the law goes. Probably be the same way for this guy. If he knows what, what's best for him or her, is it could be her, I suppose. Um, he better not spend any of that money. Or it, uh, you know, the employee never wins in these situations. Never. Um, stitching, hello, hello. Everybody's in here. Thank you. Uh, by the way, thank you all to you who are uh, making time on your uh, 4th of July. Some of you, uh, of course, uh, Mark, you're in Germany. Uh, maybe, Mark, uh, are, are you an American citizen living in Germany, or are you a German citizen one way or the other? Um, but I thank you for joining in as well. But I think uh, a lot of the other people, everybody else, are Americans. Thank you for tuning in. Let's move into uh, move on to another disappearance. And I know this is a disappearance that many of you know we've not covered it on unfound it is still unsolved she is still missing but um yesterday was the seven-year anniversary of the disappearance of crystal rogers this is a disappearance that um i know about i kind of know like the general facts off the top of my head but i'm gonna read this article and then i'm just gonna uh, comment, make some comments, and give you some insights uh, into it. Louisville, Kentucky. Sunday marks seven years, so yesterday, yet seven years since Bardstown mother, uh, a Bardstown mother disappeared. Crystal Rogers was last seen on July 3rd, 2015. The next day, her car was found on the side of the Bluegrass Parkway with her purse, phone, and keys still inside. But there were no signs of the mother of five. Her boyfriend at the time, Brooks Hawk, was the last person to see her alive. He's been named the main suspect, but has never been charged in relation to the case. The FBI took over the investigation into Roger's disappearance two years ago, so that would be in 2020. Since then, the agency has executed multiple search warrants in Bardstown. Roger's mother, Sherry Ballard, said the 4th of July holiday weekend is never easy. When you're Living your everyday life, you never forget this. You never forget it, Ballard said. But when stuff happens, it brings it all right back to the surface again. And you're stuck like it just happened again. And it's very emotional and very hard on my whole entire family. Typically, a community prayer service or a balloon release is marked July 3rd, calling for answers in the case. This year, Ballard's church honored Rogers during the regular church service Sunday morning. And pink, pink bows were hung up around Bardstown. Time does not heal wounds, Ballard said. It might help you learn to adapt, but one little bitty thing can pull it all back to the surface at any minute. 
Ballard, and this is something that many of Unfound's guests have said, uh, at least behind the scenes. Ballard says she's disappointed. She still doesn't have any answers to, to her in her daughter's case, but she remains hopeful, especially after speaking with some new FBI agents working the case. I mean, every year it seemed like it was getting closer and closer. I just felt like something would happen, she said. Last summer, the FBI spent more than a week in a Bartstown neighborhood in search of information in Roger's disappearance. Agents said they found multiple items of interest that were potentially relevant to their investigation after they zeroed in on the driveway of one home, which was built by a construction company owned by Hawk. Maybe some of you even remember that. I do remember that. Since then, the FBI has yet to release what those items were and how they pertained to their investigation. The FBI released a statement marking the seventh year since Rogers disappeared. As this week marks the seventh anniversary of the disappearance of Crystal Rogers, investigators from the FBI Louisville field office continue to work diligently to uncover all the facts of the case. We want nothing more than bring a sense of closure to Crystal Rogers family and the community of Bardstown. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank all those individuals who submitted tips to our office. This case will not come to its rightful conclusion without the contributions of the community itself. I think people think because I'm quiet, things have died down, Ballard said. I'm just sitting patiently. I'm trying to sit patiently, but that's not always the case. The FBI is also still investigating the death of Roger's father, father, Tommy Ballard, who was shot and killed five years ago while hunting on his own property more than a year after Rogers went missing. And that's kind of the, the twist, I guess, in all of this. So Brooks Hawk uh, was her boyfriend at the time. And certainly this does seem like a kind of what, what I've called the man said type of disappearance, where uh, I think what Brooks said is, yes, he was home at 11 o'clock and she left and never came back, or she was supposed to come home and never came home. And, you know, story just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, if you forget, Brooks has a brother, Nick, who was a police officer at the time. And if you read uh, several other articles uh, that have come out about Crystal's disappearance, uh, the belief, the theory is that Nick actually helped Brooks, I guess, after the fact, meaning Brooks harmed Crystal. He calls his brother Nick, and Nick shows up, and they somehow get rid of Crystal. You know, this is this is stuff tough for me to uh, relate to. I, as you know, many of you know, I have two brothers. They are both married. I the best of their wives. Uh, they're, I think they're both great matches. I get a, uh, along with Patty, my brother Michael's wife, very well. I think a lot of her. And my brother Brian's wife, Lorraine, I think the world of her as well. But here's what I think I know. <laughs> if either of my brothers were to harm their wives and were to call me, now that'd be a little convenient, inconvenient for Michael because he lives in Pennsylvania. But... Theoretically, if either of the, one of them were to call me and I were to show up somewhere and their wives were dead and it was obvious that my brother, let's just give my example of my brother, Brian, because he's the one that lives close here. If he killed his wife and he called me, Ed, you got to come over here. Uh, I got, you know, I need your help. And I got there 
And that was the scene. There's no way I assist in this. Now, I might fake it, you know, and if Brian's watching this or if I tell him about it, we'll probably have a good chuckle about it. But I'll probably fake it. Like, oh, yeah, Brian, let, let you know, let's, you know, it's because the reason I would be doing this, well, if he killed his wife, if he thinks that I'm not going to help him in the scheme, you know what? I might end up dead too. So I'll fake it. Oh, yeah, Brian, let's get it done. Uh, yeah, I, I totally understand. Oh, yeah, you had every reason in the world to do this. And then the very second that I was uh, out of arm's reach of him or he couldn't get at me, I'd be running down the street and calling 911. And I'm close with my brother, Brian. I love my brother, Brian. He and I are very two very different types of people. But I enjoy his company. We've had a great trip up to Louisiana. We play trivia together, all these things. But I'm not going to help him get rid of his wife. So, you know, I don't know what goes through, uh, you know, in contrast. Maybe we have, a, we have to contrast this with something else. I get why my parents cover for their kids. All right, I don't agree with it. Of course, it's easy for me to talk. I don't have any. And surely my parents would have never covered for me. Of course, my father is still alive, but he would never cover for me for anything. If I were to do something that was, uh, you know, jail worthy, he would never cover for me for anything. And, and likewise, um, but I kind of understand because, you know, you've raised these kids and a lot of parents think that their parent, their kids are a reflection on them. If the, ch- the child gets charged with murder, then they, they, as parents start feeling, oh, we're horrible people and, and all these things. This is why, you know, parents have helped their children get out of the country and all sorts of things when charges have been brought. Happens in the United States, happens everywhere else. But this is something, given that I have two brothers, that could never, I could never relate to this. You know, if could never do that. And so when I look at this, it does seem like that's what probably went on can't relate to it. Uh, And maybe I don't know how the rest of you feel about it. I think you're all great people out there. You're probably thinking the same thing. And dare I say it, if I were to have like have a girlfriend and I did something to her, you know, I can't even imagine my brothers taking part at all. And, you know, uh, you know, they're not a, they've not, you know, they're not uh goody two shoes either. They're just, I think just your average guys. And um they surely would not take part in this. Probably do what I do. They'd probably pretend like they were going to help. And then before you know it, there'd be 10 Pinellas County Sheriff's cars out in front of the building. So what also, you know, kind of comes to my mind in this is that Brooks must have known, you, you, you know, the other part about this, you only involve somebody in something like this if you know the person's going to go along with it. Maybe that's the corollary to all of this. You don't call in somebody who you think is going to call the cops. Here he was, it seems, that's a theory, that uh, it wasn't that he just called in the cops. 
Brooks's brother was uh, a cop. Now, why hasn't this been resolved? Even though it seems like this, well, you know, it seems fairly, fairly straightforward, mainly because Crystal hasn't been found. And I think that if I were to read up everything a little more deeply than this article, I think I might be able to figure out where they probably need to look. Something that's not in this article was that when her car was found, there was a flat tire on it. And it's weird because I'm looking at a disappearance. I'm trying to cover a disappearance that's very similar to this where a woman went missing. Her car was found on the road, and it also had a flat tire. But this was here in uh, a woman who lived here in Florida. I've been trying to contact her family. They've not gotten back to me yet. So why is the is it a coincidence that this tire is flat and crystal's missing? Did somebody flatten it on purpose? You know, um, you know, I don't know. Now I have it in here, not in the story. People not even connected to the Hawks who have pointed fingers at each other, and that's another, I, I guess, another part of the story. There are people not connected to the Hawks who seemingly have said they know what happened and it doesn't involve Brooks and Nick or not at, at all. So that obviously complicates the investigation as well. But you need to know who these people are. Who are they? They're convicted felons. They're in jail creating all these stories. And that's one more reason you don't believe these people. You just cannot take them seriously. So I just wanted to read uh, this article uh Regarding the, the uh, you, know, you, you know, you don't want to call it, you know, the anniversary. Anniversaries are supposed to be, you know, good things like we're, you know, having an anniversary here in the United States today. But the seven years have been, you know, exactly seven years yesterday since Crystal Rogers went missing. Will it ever be solved? As you know, it, it's hard to say. You can't make any predictions regarding any of that. So uh, I wanted to read those two articles. Let's see what everybody's saying here. Mark says, a German citizen with a few American friends. That's interesting. Um, okay, Mark. Cool. Uh, Mark, ever been to the United States? You have some American friends. Have you ever been to the United States? Uh, and where have you been? That would be very interesting to me. Um, you know, I was just talking to somebody, and in fact, it's connected to this uh, – company i mentioned earlier uh the guy that i was talking to from this company actually was in romania and i told him you know i've never even been to europe never not to england not to the mainland europe anywhere over there not much of a traveler but then he said well you know what and the guy probably is in his 30s he goes well i've never been to the united states you know what i said i said ah you're not missing anything <laughs> And then he, he said, oh, yeah, I am. You have a fantastic country. I don't know if he was kissing my butt or what. But there you go. Um, just, uh, we just got a few more minutes left in this live show. But I do want to go over something that I am uh, putting together. And Stitching, what are you saying here, Stitching? We're also coming up on Mill Molly Miller and Colt Haynes uh, in so many years. Yeah. You know, Stitching, it's just. You know, we've covered so many disappearances now on Unfound. I would like to, you know, remember those dates. It's just, wow. There's just so many of them now. Um, 
you know, what the actual disappearance date is and try to remember, well, it's been seven years. Well, it's been 23 years. It's just that there's now so many, uh, you know, disappearances that uh, I have to admit, just, you know, covering them all on an update episode now and naming everybody's names. Uh, sometimes I'm just happy, uh, you know, to get that, you know, that done, given that the list has become very long, even though, like I continue to say, given the way my computers are set up and the way I go through the files and everything, I see the pictures of all of these people every day. So they're always on my mind. It's just, it's tough to remember and put into some organized system you know, remembering, hey, it's been seven years since she disappeared. It's been 30 years since he disappeared. It's a little tough. Uh, Marlene, well, hello, Marlene. Uh, as usual, Marlene coming in late. No matter if it's on Monday nights or Wednesday nights, Marlene coming in late. But that's okay, Lauren. Marlene, you know I'm joking around. I love those little emojis there, Marlene. I'm impressed. The purple, the fireworks, the little smiley face. What's going on? Love it. Twinkle. There you are, Twinkle. You know, Twinkle, I mentioned you earlier in this live show and uh, you weren't here. So you'll just have to go back and listen and see why I mentioned you. Um, I want to talk about this two-pronged test that I've um, been working on. This is something that I've been working on for a while and now I'm finally ready to publicize it. And I've used it in the Patreon blog that I wrote for Holly White's disappearance. I've written about it in the newsletter. And now I just kind of want to go through it, kind of talk about it a little bit as well. You know, there's this big issue that we always have with disappearances like Holly's, many of them. Was it foul play? Is somebody responsible for this this disappearance, whether it was a planned uh, murder or was it a, you know, a crime of passion or something? Was it that or was it a person commit walking off, committing suicide, um, walking off to start a new life, maybe some sort of overdose somewhere by himself or herself, an accident? For example, somebody goes hiking and, you know, falls off a cliff. How do we differentiate between the ones that are foul play and the ones that aren't, even though it doesn't seem you can really do that. How can that be done? So I've been working on a test and I've kind of been using it uh, and, and putting it up against many of the disappearances uh, that have been resolved one way or the other, whether they were a murder like Tyler North's or a suicide, unfortunately, like Devin Bonds, or an accident like Esther Westenbarger's. I think it's very, we, we need to move this forward. We need to get to a point where we can do this. May not be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But just a very quick test. We can think about things to think about in a couple minutes, you know, in what direction we're going to go. And so this is a very early uh, version of this, and I'm sure this this test will continue to uh, mature as I tweak it. But to call it a two-pronged test, and it's this. A disappearance involves foul play if one of two criteria 
can be met. And within one of those criteria, it's kind of a two-part thing. So number one, obviously, if there's signs of violence. If we have a situation like Jody Husentrut, who, of course, was walking out to her car, and then later, everything that she was carrying is all over the parking lot. We know that certainly foul play is involved there when we see signs of violence. We might also talk about, like, uh, Linda K. Carroll. Uh, We believe that her estranged husband caused her disappearance. They go to the house. Things are knocked over. Part of her hair is in the door jam as if she had been dragged out of the house. Obviously, when we see signs of violence, we know it's foul play. That's pretty simple. But the second part of that part number one is that there may not be violence, but there is some kind of what I would call an ominous fact. Something, a fact that really you can't, you just can't ignore it and you know that it's bad news. I'll give you an example of it. For example, Zoe Campos's disappearance. Obviously, there were no signs of violence, even though we now know that she was murdered. But there was a, an ominous fact that was known for her uh, disappearance. And that is, it. what was it? It wasn't days, but maybe weeks after her disappearance. What was it? Some guy was driving her car. And when the guy noticed that he was being followed, you may remember that now, it was one of Zoe Campus's family members who happened upon her car. It was kind of a unique car. Um, started following it. The guy driving the car noticed it, speeds up, pulls into an apartment complex, and takes off. Of course, we now know that that was Carlos Rodriguez. But we didn't know who it was at the time, although a lot of people suspected it was, was Carlos. But that was an ominous fact. She is not driving. She's been missing And her car is being driven by someone else. That is what we would call an ominous fact. For Tyler North, of course, we now know that he was murdered. What would be the ominous fact for his? That his truck was torched. His truck was found shortly after he went missing, and it was torched. That is a bad sign. You also might apply that to Dorian Myers' disappearance, even though it has not been solved. So that is part number one. Signs of violence, an ominous fact. Something that shows that uh, somebody is probably else is involved in the disappearance. But the, the part two, though, if you don't have either of those, say you don't have any signs of violence, say there aren't any ominous facts, you still can get to the foul play choice. And it's part number two is if people who are very, very close to the missing person tell stories that don't make any sense. I know this is very complicated, but these people don't do drugs, aren't addicts. Of course, we know in many of these disappearances where you know addicts are talking, they say a lot of things, and you don't think that you can believe them because we're not sure that they see reality as it is. They also are more prone to lying because they're used to lying about their addictions and other things. So you always have to put it, you have to put in there, People who are telling unbelievable stories, but they aren't high or they don't have any mental issues or anything. Now, example of that, Angela Green. No signs of violence, no ominous facts. However, what do you have? 
You have Jeff Green, her her husband, saying, oh, yeah, well, I took her to an insane asylum or a mental hospital, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is. And, oh, yeah, while she was in there, she died, but there are no, there's no death certificate. And we have several examples of that, even though many of these types of disappearances have not been solved yet, like Marion Hurley's, like Angela Green's, like Rosemary Rapp's. They all have that. They all have that, that mainly husband who's telling these stories that don't make any sense. Even though there's no signs of violence, there are no ominous facts. So I've been working on this test. Now you may say, well, what about something like somebody uh, like Andrea Bowman's? Of course, we now know she was murdered. There were no signs of facts. Well, there might have been, but nobody went in the house to check. And it, the story that was told by the Bowmans was that, yeah, Andrea ran away. Well, that's not a crazy story. There are kids running away all the time. So does this test that I'm using work in a disappearance for a disappearance like Andrea Bowman's? Actually, it still does because there was an ominous fact regarding Andrea's disappearance that I think a lot of people tend to forget about. And in fact, it's the very reason that Kathy Turkanian from the beginning believed that her biological daughter, Andre, was killed by Dennis Bowman. What was it? Not long before Andre went missing, she had told her, uh, a school counselor, that she was getting abused by Dennis Bowman. That is an ominous fact. Uh, a girl making a claim of abuse against her father, and then the girl goes missing quite uh, right after that. That is certainly an ominous fact. Certainly. Now, even if she was lying, that's the key. Even if she was lying, it's still an ominous fact because why? It very well could be that Dennis wasn't abusing her. I don't think at this point it really matters one way or the other. He murdered her. But if he found out that she was telling the story and, and it was a lie, then he loses his temper, hits her, and kills her. So either way, whether she was telling the truth about this or not, um, it's still an ominous fact that she brought it up. And then she went missing. So I'm continuing to work on this. And so um, this might be something that you want to try. Uh, if you're listening to this in the podcast feed afterwards, if you are want to go back through many of Unfound's cases and kind of use this test to look at a lot of these old episodes, maybe there's episodes or disappearances that we've not covered yet, that you want to use this test on that particular disappearance to see if it works out or it doesn't, uh, I would be very interested to hear uh, how that works out for you because it's going to be something that I'm going to continue to kind of hone because I think we need to get to that point. You know, I've always talked about knowing a disappearance when you see it, be able to uh, put it in a certain type, know what to look for, know those facts when you hear them and be able to really start to classify and start to narrow down to a very you know, very few possibilities as to act what, what actually happened. And so I think this test can help. It's not perfect yet, but I'm working on it. You try it out for yourselves and see uh, if it works for you. And this is something that I'm going to be adding to the presentations that I will be doing for criminal justice majors this fall. Certainly, 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 certainly. Because that is what we need. When those police officers show up to take up to uh, fill out that report, they need to be able to have some mental test 
to say, does this sound like foul play? Is it not? Is this a runaway or was this girl murdered by her parents? We need that. We need a test that can be done very, very, very quickly. That is, it's never going to be perfect, but it's highly, highly accurate. That's what we need. So what's everybody saying here? Marlene says she got the notice. Oh, okay, Mark, thank you. Um, I've been just to New York, Philadelphia, Boston, Washington, D.C. Interesting, but these, this was over 22 years ago. My mother was born in Romania and has friends in New York. Wow. Romania, it, it just sounds like, you know, even talking to this guy this past week, it sounds like such an exotic place. So that's very interesting, Mark. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I've only been to New York. You're like, maybe you're like me, Mark. I'm an American citizen. I've only been to New York City once. Um, I've never actually been to Philadelphia. I've driven through it. I've, I don't think I've ever been to Boston. And uh, I've only been to Washington, D.C. a few times. And the last time was December 1997. I went to the zoo and stuff. All right. Hello, Marlene. She got the notice. Okay, Marlene. Coffee. Yeah, Angela Green. Yeah. I'm going to Angela Green. Thank you, Coffee. Good to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in today, Coffee. How are you? Marlene says, I know I'm super late, Ed. Your interview with Elaine Graves on Holly's White was excellent. Thank you. Very kind, Marlene. As I continue to say, it's the guests that make the interviews what they are. Watched it twice. Korea Design. Hi from Belgium. Wow. We got German, Germany and Belgium uh, today. I love it on this 4th of July. Thank you for tuning in, Korea Design. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate it. Twinkle, I like your test ideas, applying logic to a disappearance that appears to be illogical. That's what I tried to do, Twinkle. You know it. And everything. Ulster, I missed most of this. That's uh, okay, everything. Uh, it's the internet, so nothing ever goes away on the internet. So you can watch or listen to this all over again. It'll be in your podcast feed later today. All right, let's get to Friday's episode. <clears throat> we are... Rev- um, Boston says, what do you mean you haven't been to Boston, Ed? Uh, I think I said what I said, Boston. I don't think I've ever been there. I've been to Massachusetts, maybe through there. I've been to Cape Cod as a little kid with my parents, but I've never been to Boston. Are you saying I need to go to Boston, Boston actress? Um, This Friday, we are going to revisit the disappearance of Craig Freer. I had uh, kind of put it out there, uh, suggestions, and Craig's was uh, one of su- one of the suggestions. And really, I got to be honest with you, it was the one that I probably was going to pick anyway. Why is that? Well, I think if you start going back through the disappearances that we've uh, featured for 2022, there are a lot of disappearances like Craig Frears, young people going missing. Um, just that I was just talking about the two-pronged test. No signs of violence. Maybe there's certainly some ominous facts, but it just seems like uh, you know these young people, and it seems like right now anything is possible. We could go back to the 1970s. Harry Milligan's was like that. That was from the 80s. But uh, Steve Davis's 1986, these disappearances. Um, or was Harry's back in the 70s? Like sometimes get confused on a few of the dates we're up to 250 some you'll have to excuse me now um but we've covered a lot of disappearances like craig frears this year 
And so I, that was, there was somebody had voiced that choice. I didn't mean to rhyme. And I thought that's a good one. It was kind of what I was thinking anyway, because it's kind of like a lot of the disappearances we've covered. So this Friday, we're going to revisit it. it will be the original interview with his mother, Veronica, but there will be a new intro, a new theme, a new summary, and a new summation. So it, really from the, that original episode from 2017, that was over five years ago that I uh, interviewed his mother. Uh, the only thing that will be the same in this episode is the interview itself. And so I have some new commentary, uh, some new insight, and that will be this Friday. So um, I think that's about it for this July 4th show. I had another article to read, but we've gone uh, the required two hours. And uh, so maybe we'll just save that article for another time. It's kind of a timeless type of article. So on disappearances in other countries, we'll get to it some other time, maybe next week, if there's a live show next week. So um, what else? Uh, what do you, yes, I've never been to Boston. Uh, Boston, we got to fix that one day. I'd love to go to Boston uh, as long as it's during the summer. I'm not going when it's cold. I'm not going to do that. And in fact, a really Boston actress, I will probably have to put on like a hazmat suit and everything else, being that I despise Boston sport te- sports teams as much as I do. The Patriots, the Red Sox, you know, all of that going on up there. Uh, I, I may have to go there, but have a hazmat suit and be in um, disguise. <laughs> of course, I'm joking around. All right, that's enough. Maybe I've gone along enough. Maybe I'm starting to lose my mind. Everyone, thank you for making the time here on this 4th of July, uh, especially, of course, for you Americans, especially since this is a noon show, which is very, very rare. This might be the first time I've ever done this. Uh, last Next week, I can't make any guarantees right now, but I will try to keep you all informed as to what's going to go on next week for a live show. I just don't know. And to thank you for the support. Uh, please consider becoming a member for the low, low price of 10 cents a day. Also, uh, within minutes here, I'm going to be making the Unfound Now, the disappearance of Dylan Rounds uh, public. So be looking for that. And that's all I got. I'm just worn out. Thank you so much. Uh, I feel so uh, special to be able to spend this time with all of you today. I'm going to continue to be working the rest of the day, uh, but it's beautiful out here. I'll have a nice view. I can't believe it. I think I need to take you to Fenway. You'll change your mind. Uh, I'd love to go to Fenway. Fenway. I'd certainly love to check it out. Certainly. I was joking around Boston, but maybe we can make that happen. Everyone, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. For those of you around fireworks, have a safe day. Come out of this day with all of your fingers, all of your toes, all of your limbs, okay? Be very careful out there. Be very careful. For your pets, too. See ya.